Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me tonight are James and Milo. Hello, chaps. Oh, yeah. Hi, Steph. Hello, chaps, indeed. And well, 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 the seven-year-olds with the joysticks stopped fighting. The engineers installed the software patch and actually gave it a further dimension. This weekend's game against Man City at the Etihad was very real and further proof that we do love a Saturday night special. And if you have no idea what I'm on about, first of all, listen to The Game Is About Glory on a weekly basis. And secondly, it means we once again beat Man City, this time by three goals to two. And you'll hear all the details and views from The Game Is About Glory on this superb result. We will also enjoy the week that was with a look back at the likes of pre-season tours, Conte Miss Contexts and the mighty Benoit Asu Akatu. But first of all, as usual, we start with our intro question. And this week, I would like to know, what was the first film that you saw at the cinema, Milo? Or give everyone an idea of how old you are, I think is probably the other way this question is. I'm not sure. It's one or two. It's either Watership Down or The Cat from Outer Space. And I'm not quite sure which one it was. And around that time, so late 70s, you didn't get, kind of not everything got released at the cinemas at the same time. There was a bit of film that kind of toured around the country and um, eventually made it to a provincial cinema. So I'm not quite sure. I've looked back at the, re- uh, the release dates and they're quite similar. So I'm not quite sure which one it was. How on, James? Well, I was uh, I was nine years old. That's the only clue I'll give on this. But it was uh, Back to the Future. Oh, at the Bogner Regis, uh, I had to look up what, what's the cinema name, but it, it's pretty old school, Bogner Regis Picture Drome, oh. um, which is a classic looking building. But oh, yeah, brilliant. Back to the Future there, it was almost like, you know, like in the film itself, it was so old school. Chuck Berry on stage, time of my life. Excellent. That's, that is, that's called Bogner Regis. Yeah, you're going to have, uh, I can't beat that. Well, I can strip you all for age. I mean, uh, look, I, I'm going to be 55 in, 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 a, in a few weeks, so I'll just put it out there. I'm stuck between my parents, big film people. So I do remember seeing A Geary Wrath of God, which is a really, really heavy Werner Herzog film at the National Film Theatre at some point uh, in the in the mid-70s. But I think my first conscious memory was Airport 75. Uh, it was either that or it was uh, Battle for the Planet of the Apes. I used to love those, the disaster films with all the little pictures of the cast underneath them. And I used to go, I used to love going to Charlton Heston films because they were just so ridiculous but exciting for kids. And the cinema seats were fitted with these little things called sense around. And it was basically, if ever there was like a plane about to crash or in, or in the disaster film earthquake, the seat would vibrate, you know, with the earthquake. And it was like, Ooh, this is exciting. I mean, and I do remember also seeing this was a little further down the line, but I remember seeing star Wars when it came out in 77 mm. and that did include a McDonald's uh, and the Haymarket before we went to see it in the Leicester square theater. So, um, but yeah, uh, it was somewhere in there, disaster movie or planet of the apes. Um, I th- but I'm going to settle on airport 75. So that's ah, interesting. You're right. It is a, it does date us indeed. Um, and there's no comfortable segue from talking about our age to the week that was. So I'm not going to try and come up with one. I'm going to say that was fun. We won't turn this into a Mark Kermode film review as much as I'd love to. We will now move to the week that was, and we'll start with the brilliant news <laughs> that, that Romero has been banned by FIFA. <laughs> you know, look, hold back your tears, okay? <laughs> I know it's devastating, but it isn't really, is it? It's, it's, it's fantastic because Christian Romero has been banned for two international matches for, quote, not complying with the FIFA return to football international match protocol for his part in last September's abandoned World Cup qualifier between Brazil and Argentina. FIFA has decided that the game will be replayed with four players suspended and both teams fined. 
so Villas, Emiliano Martinez and Emiliano Buenda, uh, our very own Christian Romero and our on loan Gela uh, Celso have been accused by the Brazilian government of providing false information on immigration forms and breaking COVID-19 laws. Decision comes at the conclusion of FIFA disciplinary proceedings, which were launched in September. Go FIFA, the absolute bastion of speed when it comes to uh, resolving these situations. Brazil have been fined 550,000 Swiss francs and Argentina 250,000 Swiss francs. And if you want the pound conversion, go to your calculator. But anyway, the upshot is that we will not be losing Christian Romero for these games. So it can only be good news for Tottenham Hotspur. Am I actually going to say thank you to FIFA on this podcast? I think I just did. Um, Okay. (laughs) We've also announced a pre-season tour, our first one since the pandemic. Uh, We will be travelling to South Korea, all being good, in the summer, and we'll play two exhibition games in the Kupang Play Series. I don't know if there's a trophy for that, but we we could win the Kupang Play Cup, I think. (laughs) Dates and opponents have not yet been announced, and we are one of the best-supported overseas teams in Korea thanks to the mighty Son Young-min and Cho Seo-hyun, captains of the South Korea men's and women's national teams respectively, both play for us. There was also a controversial Sky Italia interview with Antonio Conti. Um, You know, he speaks to Italian Sky. It's become customary. They released some teaser quotes to drum up interest, and, you know, somewhere in their context gets ripped apart and words get you know rearranged to suit you know the spectacularity of what's desired spurs fans then lose uh, their collective shit for a bit over 12 hours until the full interview is broadcast and people get to see the quotes in context look it, it's part of the dance that happens in modern media unfortunately when results aren't going your way it can tend to take on a little more magnification conti came out fighting in his, in his pre-match press conference before man city and made little effort you know to hide his annoyance with the british press he also revealed that he would no longer be giving interviews with the Italian media, uh, which is which is huge. Uh, it has to be said. And you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna drag one of the boys into this one. You know, Milo, what on earth is going on with our fan base here, and why on earth are they having these constant meltdowns? What's the story? So, I mean, I think there's I think our fan base is or on, online fan base is pretty fragile at the moment, and I think it probably goes back to. The European Super League. Ever since then, I think it's been it's been very twitchy, and it hasn't taken much to to set us off. Um, we saw a fair amount of that during the January transfer window, and you know various other points during the season. But this is kind of compounded, at least on Twitter, by kind of the aggregator accounts there. So the people who crop stories from elsewhere and 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 tweet them, and, and a lot of those are um, either people who run other podcasts, you know, less um, high quality. Spurs podcasts or or blogs and they'll just print any old shit for clicks basically and I think it's all getting a bit um AFTV and you effectively Spurs fans are shooting us in the foot and stirring up crap in order to try and raise their profile and it's not a good thing when combined with kind of the the fragility of um of our online fan base at the moment yeah I mean I'll, I'll add something of my own thoughts to this uh, which I mean I would agree with that but i also do think you know again i go back to this collective sort of mental health crisis that i think has come from a couple of years of solid covid this and that and you know frustrations and i think you know people have lived their lives so much more you know within these bubbles that you're right i think they become it's almost a narcissistic quality combined with frustration equals like this explosion and impetuousness mm. almost right yeah i mean i think we've all lived our lives online 
more during the pandemic, haven't we? I mean, effectively, this podcast is a result of that, isn't it? That's- yeah, but it's actually a very good, but, but what you've raised there is a very, very good thing, which is to, to point out, which is that, you know, we do all have a choice as to what to do with that, uh, you know, increased online access. Do you use it to be maybe positive and wild liquor, or do you want to just like create dramas out of nothing and storms in teacups when there's already enough going on in the world? Just to, to close off on Antonio Conte, I think it's well worth reminding our, our fans in their, you know, in their minute of frustration and knicker twisting that, you know, you're looking at a manager here who has never been less than honest. I mean, he tells you exactly what it is. He told us what it was when he came in from his perspective. Uh, he's telling us how it is from his perspective. And I think we all know what it is from his perspective. And I think we do well to just trust him in the long game and understand that it's going to play out in a very direct fashion and that all these little miscontextual deviations are highly unhelpful as you said Milo they really are the other thing that happened this week which you know if you haven't read it you need to was Benoit Asuikoto's superb interview in The Athletic please go and look it up you know rare is it for us to peddle uh, someone else's wares but it, this is a top class interview The Athletic have done with him and it just reminds you what a great uh, what a great character he was and I'm, if you don't mind guys I just want to read a couple of quotes out from him the first quote that struck out to me was um, you know <laughs> The 2010 World Cup in South Africa was especially emotional, but it all became too much for Cameroon four years later in Brazil when the team capitulated. This was when Asu Ikoto headbutted his teammate, Benjamin Mokwanjo, and Asu Ikoto's reaction was typically phlegmatic. It came out of frustration, he says. He took the ball and wanted to skin one or two players. I told him to think about the team, not just himself. So Benny would headbutt players who he thought were going against the, his, you know, the ethic of the team. Uh, but this quote is the one that will resonate with all of us. The sport is more about money than ever before, he feels, but even with football's problems, his fondness for Tottenham remains. Quote, it's cool if they, the fans, love me, but, you know, since I left, I've never been back. One day I will come back with my kids. I hope one or two fans will remember me. I will keep my hair. The thing is, you're not a Tottenham player when you sign. You become a Tottenham player after a few games, once you've kicked a few players from Arsenal. Benny, come back soon. Hair, kids, all of it. We want to see you. Right. Well. We've arrived at the moment, a moment that some of our pessimistic supporters were declaring would be a funeral. How will the game is about glory put a positive spin on a game at the Etihad, they said to us? What will we say that could possibly be positive about a match which is going to see us get thumped? Well, bollocks to the lot of you. (laughs) We have nothing but positivity to discuss because it was a 3-2 win in the most epic of fashions, wasn't it, chaps? And uh, to kick us off, Milo, I'd like you to talk us through the team selection, shape of the side and Conti's approach to the game. Let's just get right into this absolutely wonderful victory. So I think Conte picked the strongest available side he had with uh, Dyer, Royal, Hoiberg and Kulu coming in for Sanchez, Doherty, Winks and Mora. We played 5-4-1 in defence, which switched to a 3-4-2-1 in attack. Although quite often, certainly particularly in the first half, Kane was at number 10 and um, Kulil Deki and uh, Sun were running past him to make a front two. Deki and Sun were asked to cover a lot of ground and, and had to be very disciplined. We played defensively, we played a very narrow shape. So the uh, back five you know, rarely were outside kind of the width of the box and the midfield in front of them were again pretty, pretty narrow as well. So we were trying to force City wide. And basically, we were gambling on the fact on the, on their one weakness, which is they don't have a striker. Um, you know, maybe they should have tried to buy one in the summer rather than wasting money on a player they don't need. I think kind of the main thing really was from the performance. I think was kind of the discipline of it. We we held our shape really well throughout. It's difficult 
um, playing like that because, yeah, first of all, you know, a very, very good side. You, you're allowed to have kind of 80% of the ball, you know, around your area for, for most of the game. But particularly the kind of the wide players in that formation, so um, Kulu, Royale, uh, Sessignon and, and Sun have got a lot of work to do when you get possession and, and you break. And I, I thought they were very good both at getting forwards and getting back. It was an excellent performance. Just to say, in the fluid formations that we like to run in the game is about glory. When you hear Kulu and Deki, they are the same player. Milo's just exchanging one nickname for another as it feels, as it flows through him. So it's the same player, just so as you know. James, let's talk Hugo Lloris. He's made a few howlers in the last few games. He did make another one for City's first goal. You know, I will throw in that there was that Spider-Man second half save from Gungawan. You know, I thought it might have been save of the season already. Overall, what did you make of uh, Hugo's performance yesterday? He had an up and down game. I mean, obviously the, the goal that they scored early on will go down as a mistake by him. But I think the fact that De Bruyne appeared to run in front of him as that ball came in, it's not a full excuse, but it's a factor. You know, as errors go, it wasn't like the one against Wolves. Um, It wasn't as bad as that. His save was excellent. I think we might be getting a bit carried away in the moment by saying it's save of the season. He was was at full stretch. I never get carried away and I'm not in any way dramatic. It was... (laughs) It was a firm hand, firm left hand and an excellent save. And it did look like it was going in. But we always, we've always known that Luis is an amazing uh, shot stopper. I think my only issue with him as our keeper for the next um, you know season and a half is the fact that he's not great with his feet. I hope that he's got the mistakes out of his system for the uh, the final run of games towards the top four, top four charge. Milo, you, <laughs> this is great. You have described the Doherty Mora Sanchez right hand side axis as the Bermuda Triangle. Indeed, you did this last week with with, with some degree of fairness, I may say. Uh, so, why don't you expand on the difference to our game having Romero, Royal, and Kulu there made? I think it made a huge uh, difference. I mean, we, we don't get this result with that right hand side we saw in the last game. Um, Kulu was he's a lot more composed than Mora in possession his passing was excellent throughout and his running off the ball was really good as well what Moore is great at is kind of head down charge when he's got the ball and and weaving through a few players and you know a handful of times a season it's going to come off and be great but his movement off the ball isn't quite so great his use of the ball um, and bringing other players in isn't so great Romero was superb again his his passing was brilliant and I think as a result of that, we got a better performance out of Royale. He was receiving balls in better positions. Quite often what we see with when he's playing with Sanchez is that he moves towards him, he's facing him, and then he's got to turn. He's got a man stood behind him. It's, it, make, it makes the whole thing a lot more difficult for him. Whereas in this game, he was able to, to run a lot more. I thought the communication between him and Romero looked pretty good throughout the game. And one of, one of the things that I and this is slightly off topic, but um, I, I thought the the way that the defence were supporting each other all the way through the game, there was lots of hand slaps, lots of back slaps, lots of um, fist bumps. Whenever anyone did anything good, someone was there to back them up and and and, uh, and give them support for it. And you saw a lot of that between Romero and, and Royale. There was a lovely bit where there was a, a really, really kind of cheeky, kind of disguised pass from uh, Romero out to Royale, uh, just just around the edge of the area. And it's something that Sanchez could never do in a million years. We touched on this earlier on before we were recording. We talked about the winning goal and the sequence of passes that led to it. Why don't you explain the foot before you do this? Why don't you explain your latest in-match habit for our listeners? <laughs> So, 
and so this is actually after Royale's gone off, but the other two players are involved in this. So I've started noting down uh, the passing sequences leading up to a goal. It's interesting for me. It's pretty interesting to hear. What you're about to tell people is, is, is really good listening. And if anyone wants to challenge themselves to imagine this on a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, no, go for it. So for the winning goal, Walker... Carl Walker plays a loose pass out and it's collected by Davis. The passing sequence after that is Davis, Hoybier, Davis, Kane, Hoybier, Dyer, Romero, Kulu, Doherty, Romero, Benton Kerr, Kulu, Kane, goal. What I'd love to do, and I'm going to actually ask if you can do this before we finish recording. Can you see if there's a, it sounds like it could be an acronym for something. Can you see if you can find a word from that? You know, from the B for Benton Core and like G for goal. See if there's a word to be made from that for the end, because it sounds like one of these spy things, the way you've read it. Like, you know, it's, it, it's got an air of intrigue about it as well. <laughs> there are no names starting with a vowel there, Steph. So I, I quite like it. Well, you're allowed to rearrange but... the letters. If, if, if you fancy taking this challenge, <laughs> John, let me throw it at you as we record in between. If you fancy it, go for it. If not, I invite our listeners to write that list, that passing sequence down for our winning goal and see if you can work out a word from it. I don't know. It just sounds like there must be one in there. There must be (laughs) one that comes up with bollocks with Kane and Son as the last two. Bollocks Get like, the, in like, there for like a the bit challenge, in the like the challenge I've just issued. Poor Milo, is that what we're saying? Yeah, I don't know what it is. It just sounded as 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 Milo was reading it. It sounded it was very intriguing, but uh, it sounded like a sort of it sounded like we were in the middle of a spy film. <laughs> that's great, but uh, but no, what what a sequence! I mean, that's a great sequence. And actually, in fairness uh, to to what you've read out there, Milo, if, if you know if Man City's passing sequence in the ninety fifth minute of a really of a cliffhanger, you know, um, away game for uh, you know in the premiership people would have been all over it they'd have been going on about that passing sequence i mean that's a massive passing sequence so exciting stuff indeed and yeah i, I think you're absolutely right and it, uh, with regards to romero and royale and it is something we've been talking about on the pod the last few weeks how important eric dyer coming back is not just for eric dyer but also because it allows romero to play on the right and we will uh we'll, we'll be touching on eric dyer again a little later so How, how's this for an anagram for you steph i i, I don't think this uses all the letters but i've got international goals scored by Diego Maradona I like it very good (laughs) there we go or environmental modeling research laboratory which might actually suit our environmentally friendly uh, and and award-winning football club even better there you go you get choice with your winning goal anagrams from the game is about glory and if anyone wants to have a crack at it hey have a go yourselves and uh, and 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 tweet us uh, or you know <sighs> social better. media us. Oh, international goal scored by Robbie Keane. Oh, there it is. There it is. We've got him into this podcast, Robbie Keane. He'd have enjoyed yesterday's game. I'm sure he did. Excellent. Uh, okay, I'll drag us back to normalcy a little bit. Thank you. There, there was a well-taken challenge. I saw you fevering away there. I knew you'd get into that. It's good. We talked about Eric Dyer already, but now James, I'm going to ask you to talk about him some more because we love him in case nobody knew. I mean, do you think he's one of our most important players at this point? Certainly our most important character in defence. I don't necessarily think he's our best defender, but I think he's our most important leader in defence. I think Romero's obviously our best uh, centre-back. But Dyer seems to have a huge effect on how well people play around him in defence, like Davies. They just look more comfortable. I think Ram was touching on it last week that unfortunately with Sanchez he's got to the point where he's so uncomfortable on the ball that he's almost letting it bounce or you know he's not comfortable controlling it even and 
that's just disastrous for our all-round uh, composure at the back. And, you know, Dyer isn't suffering from that. Dyer's got incredible mental strength, I think, as a, as a, as a human. And, um, yeah, it, it was great to have him back. And he, he barely put a foot wrong yesterday. So he deserves credit. And an excellent new uh, psycho-style haircut as well. Back to the Bickle. Back to the Bickle, indeed. Yes, a statement of intent, I thought, when I saw him come out with that. I'm like, he means double business. It's great. I love it. Very good indeed. I was just going to say on Dyer, I think it's a point we've made a few times before, but he is really the only player we've got who's comfortable in that central position. Um, you know, we've seen Romero there, we've seen Sanchez there recently, and, you know, they've both got their qualities as, as uh, centre-backs, but neither of them are uh, particularly happy sitting behind the defence, mopping up and, and spraying the ball around. And I thought Dyer was uh, was excellent at that yesterday, and, and also his organisation. He was talking constantly. He was the one who was uh, telling people where the line was and where to hold it. Yeah, I thought he had a really good game. I see him and Bentoncourt forming a really good sort of association as well in terms of moving the ball very quickly between them and progressing the ball at the pitch. Really, you can see the pair of them are on a wavelength. Yeah, you can see a spine of a team developing, can't you? You can indeed. You can indeed. Varying from the spine to the to the the wider areas, if you will, Milo, uh, let's talk about uh, Sessegnon, who, you know, suffered the, uh, I suppose, the relative indignity of being substituted after 30 minutes, uh, not, you know, in the last game. Understandably, in the context of that game, it must be said. And we mentioned at the time that, you know, Conti was very quick to go over to him, you know, put an arm around him, whisper in his ear, uh, some sort of, uh, you know, mitigating um, reason as to why that substitution happened. And it was, you know, here he was starting in a massive game Saturday night. What did you think? How did he do? We should probably start by saying that the reason he started is that um, Reggie's rumoured to have COVID. So I, I think um, if Reggie was fit, Reggie would have started. I'm going to repeat a lot of what I was saying about the, the right-hand side. I, I thought he played a really, really disciplined game. I tweeted just before the game started that I hoped he had a good game because I wanted him to be able to get over you know, what must have been a really, really big disappointment for him midweek. And I thought he was really good. He In the first half, he didn't get forward too much. But when he did, I thought he was quite effective. Walker was, you know, resorting to fouling him, frankly. And um, I think there's question marks over their first goal because of the foul on Sessignon in the build-up to that. But yeah, he held his position. He um, was, you know, defending doggedly. And again, I think we've got to remember that he's a, you know, he's he's a winger converted to a to a wing back. So the defensive side of the game is probably not, you know, what he's got the most experience of. I thought he played really well. I've felt for some time that. You know, he's got an outside chance of maybe taking that slot off off Reggie. I I I think he's a little way short of that at the moment, but I think there's plenty there that he could. He, you know, I think there's plenty of promise there. One thing I did think during the game, I know that again, it's something we've mentioned a lot, and I see it, people say it on you know on, online a fair bit about him looking nervous and or timid and things like that. I think it might just be his face. I think he might just have a face that looks a bit worried or you know a bit that that might just be him concentrating and I, I think we might be just reading too much into it it is possible I mean you know being someone who constantly gets compared to George Clooney and that's just because of my face <clears throat> and the way I look it's you know this can happen to you sometimes this can happen to you sometimes you just there's a face that you have and people just you know they they assert yeah. something to it so I think you're right I, I it's, it's probably a very good explanation yeah 
You look like George Clooney after a massive night. I'm just looking at your face now and trying to trying to merge the two. Bloody hell! Don't don't That's brilliant. don't don't the seven year olds the seven year olds with the joystick and the bloke who's rewriting the patch is right now really struggling to rewrite that patch and make it work. So don't do it, mate. Don't do it. But yeah, no. I, going back to it, I think you're right, Mike. I think sometimes we can read a little a little too much into you know, and this goes back to the days of verts and you know body language and so on and so forth i mean uh, albeit i am a great fan of trying to replay a body language so i'm probably guilty of having done it in the past but you're right just on Seth, i think there's a lot more to come from him i think you know mm-hmm. away at city is probably not the right game to go out and express yourself in an attacking sense as much as hopefully when we're comfortably you know one or two up at home but i think there's a there's an obviously a hell of a player in there and he just hasn't he hasn't opened his legs up and kind of you know gone for it down a wing yet he um he's got the strength and and speed and skill but he's He's obviously adapting to a new role, new system, new manager, but I think there's a hell of a lot more to come from Sessignon. I think we should probably also say that kind of persistent fouling from Walker is a bit of a compliment. If if Walker's fouling you, it's because he thinks you're a threat. Yeah. Mm. I also, it's funny, just drifting for a second, I look at Sess and so much of his career at this point with us reminds me a little bit of Bale. And I just think, wow, imagine if Redknapp had had Sessignon. He'd be telling him, Exactly what you just said there, James. Go on, son, open your legs up. Get out, get around him. Go on, go for it. And uh, I'm going to loop this back into the brilliant Benoit Asuikotu interview with The Athletic. I encourage everyone to read it, uh, what he says about Harry Redknapp era Spurs, because it is a very interesting take. But let me drag us back in from that tangent. Um, I thought it was worth making. Son and Kane drew level with Lampard and Drogba for the most goals combined in the Premier League history yesterday. Uh, I'm going to ask you, James, when was the last time you think those two played that well as a duo? It hasn't happened often this season that they've played that well. But um, I think Liverpool 2-2, they they both had a good game, both got on the score sheet. We as a team played well. Going back before then, I mean, the obvious one that sticks in the mind is the uh, away at Southampton game, which feels like a long time ago but um they they've showed glimpses but I'd say the Liverpool game probably is the only time this season they've really gelled but um yeah I mean they're all set to smash that record by Lampard and Drogba and something to be pretty proud of it's a good shout and I mean I'm gonna take a little jog here for a second and just say because we won't we're not we haven't got this as a topic question but I think we would all agree that Harry Kane's passing yesterday was absolutely sublime. He was the best passer on the pitch, I think, by a country mile. And he was probably the second best passer or flicker on the pitch, if you will, was Sonny, who, uh, you know, was robbed of another assist, actually, um, with the the Kane goal that was called offside. And uh, and also, if if Harry had finished his one-on-one that he got played into by Sonny. I mean, some of the... Those two... The combinations are brilliant and it is just such a sign of a relationship that's been built over years. That first goal in particular, everyone knew where everyone was going to be running and moving. It was beautiful. Mm. It was, I mean, it was a poetry in motion. And, uh, you know, again, when your strikers are not just the most prolific strikers on the pitch, but also the best passing footballers on the pitch in a football match, you know you've got very, mm. very special players. You look at the front three yesterday, Kulu, goal and assist. Son, two assists. Kane, two goals. Job done. Yeah, yeah, and again, uh, you know, to tangent out a little bit and go further on that, I think that you know Benton role in 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 helping that 
passage of the ball from the back and we go back to the spine again of Dyer. I mean, you know, these are all very, very important factors. You know, you get the ball to players of that quality quickly enough and early enough in positions where they can do damage and they will do damage. All right. General questions coming your way. Fingers on the buzzer. Are we City's bogey team? Who wants to take that? OK, Milo, you had your hand up first. Pep becomes the only manager to lose to Tottenham under each of Pochettino, Mourinho, Nuno and Conte whilst in charge at the same club. That's a nice wow. start. Bogey, 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 bogey. Right? <laughs> you know, are games like this a better fit for us than one where sides sit deep and invite us on? Because... You know, one thing, and and I'm going to say this now, someone said that I was going to be unbearable uh, on this week's pod. And so to justify their comment, I'm going to make myself a little unbearable here. I actually predicted that we'd win 3-2. And my feeling was that Man City were going to leave space and that if we could get our technical and psychological shit together, we had the tools to do the job. I knew we wouldn't keep a clean sheet, but Man City, do they they invite you just you know if you can get behind us okay but we don't think you can because we don't think you're going to get the ball and we do have a great manager and when you saw the team that was fit and ready for selection i sort of felt it was on you know um so my take on it is that as a support group i think it's it's well worth looking at what other teams are doing to us that affects our performance versus the players we have. I don't think we're well set up for, for when, when teams like invite us on and invite us on. I don't think we do as well. I think it's very tough for us. Well, I mean, City didn't do very well against it yesterday. It's really difficult to break down teams that sit in two tight lines. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a reason for that. And, yes. you know, we we did to City, it's very similar to what Watford did to us around the turn of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, we, we let them have as much space as they want out wide, let them put crosses in and then and then to play the ball away because it's difficult to score from that, particularly when you don't have a centre forward. You know, the problem we've got is people moan about a lack of creativity in the side. And I think in, in games like this, it, it's not necessarily so important because you're playing on the break and kind of the speed of your, um, your attacking does a lot of the work for you. What we probably don't have are players that can find their way through a packed defence. And that's where we struggle. I do think that as a club, when we don't have certain players on the pitch, we do lack the confidence or the mentality to focus and keep in. And I thought particularly against Wolves, it was very unfortunate because you could see we didn't quite have anyone on the pitch. We didn't have a Hoybier and we didn't have a Dyer to just drag the team through and lift them through a tough beginning. I, I think it's quality of uh, quality of our second string. I think that's the issue there. Yeah. There's a big drop off in quality once you get past the first 11, 12, 13 players. And particularly with Dyer, there's no one else who can play that role. And in that game against City, I mean, City were having to deal with Pete Kane. I mean, Kane hasn't played, he's played well recently, but he hasn't played that well for a long time. And when when one player steps up in every aspect of his game, from his passing, even his clearances when he's, you know, in his own box, to his finishing, his movement, it's this massive advantage to us. And oh. they didn't have any answer to it. Oh, we used to sing the song, number one is Robbie Keane. I mean, you could really apply that to Harry Kane uh, at this point, especially after yesterday's performance. Again, absolutely sublime. But let's have a little fun. And, well, not that we haven't been having any. Let's have a little, come on. Of all those pundits, like your Jamie Carragher's and uh, and all of those, and your Graham Sooners's and all these like people who are ready to stick the boot in your Rio Ferdinand's, you know, he's got something to say about it. Which pundit and journo or commentator did you most enjoy seeing this result stick it to? Matt Law. 
Matt Law at Telegraph's got nothing nice to say about us. Every single day, he comes out with the most negative spin he can on any story related to us. The guy's a cunt. It takes a lot for Milo to use the C word. There we are. Framed and mounted. Next. <laughs> I don't listen to any of them. Shay Given was on the TV here. I don't care what he says. Whatever. <laughs> I love to stick it to all of them. I love to stick it to all of them because they all consistently uh, underplay anything we do. But the commentary team yesterday on our broadcast, and I, I, you know, I can't even remember exactly who they were, but I do remember specifically the words, and City have seven minutes to win it. It was all, every, every, every like time marker and time signature was about City winning it. And the disappointment that some of these people feel when we score, uh, is immense. And I'm going to make special mention, uh, uh, for some reason, I can't remember if Chris Sutton was particularly uh, sad that we won, but he is just generally miserable. And so I'm not sure if this result stuck it to him, but I hope it did because he is consistently miserable when it comes to Spurs. And I, I, I would delight in thinking that it caused him an uncomfortable afternoon. Okay. Closing thoughts, one positive and one negative. It says in 30 seconds, we say that every week, you know. <laughs> Three, two, one, go, James. Well, I'm torn between giving Kane a bit of well-earned praise, but I, I love the look of uh, Benton Kerr. He just looks like a player to me. And the negative, I'm not going to name names, but I don't like the the play acting and the shithousery when it's just so relentless like every time you get touched going down and it's uh yeah i find that a bit tedious milo uh the positive was the shape and the discipline uh, that was you could see that that's been coached into us this week and we carried out the plan to the letter it was really really good negative hoybier i thought he was a bit loose in possession there was a couple of times he did a back pass to larice that made larice kind of slice it out um which was like you know back pass under pressure um, and there was a, a pass to Kulu in the first half when we were on the break where he played it too hard and behind him and then the play broke down. So I, I thought, I thought off the, off the ball, I thought, um, he had quite a good game in possession. I thought he was loose. I think the biggest positive is seeing the team so charged up and positive because whatever we think, we need them to believe. And it's n none clearer than against Wolves when we did, you know, we dominated possession and we had plenty of chances, but never looked like scoring because we didn't look like we, we felt it. Versus yesterday, one of you mentioned the backslapping going on, um, you know, between players. I think it was you, Milo. Um, and, mm. and just, I, I think to have that, you know, to have that feral positivity and energy, and it is, it's an animal thing. You've got to feel it deep. And to see this core of players like enjoy a win of that nature i think it's absolutely massive it's a massive massive positive and you know we've picked apart the individual positives that was the major positive for me i'm not so sure i have any negatives i feel like calling out this week beyond the fact i wish we had two more players of antonio's desire to call on off the bench that might be the only negative i can find but that's a general negative and not a negative about yesterday so i'm actually gonna break rank and say i saw no negative from yesterday so that concludes our detailed look at yesterday's 3-2 victory up at eastlands or the etihad as it is now called and from there we march forth to turf moor on wednesday we play our second game in what is the Great Northern Run for Tottenham Hotspur in 2022. It's worth noting that after Crouchfest, <laughs> the mighty Crouchfest game, we uh, we went to Burnley too. Didn't turn out so well. 4-2 defeat. 
understandable. We didn't have much to play for in that particular game. We have plenty to play for in this one. So hopefully that is not a portent of our Wednesday night. I don't believe it is, but let's talk about it. It's uh, making up a fixture that was originally due to be played before Christmas, was a, but was abandoned just before kickoff because of heavy snow. Um, Chaps, I'm going to make this general and quite quick. couple of brief questions. Is this a game where you feel that Lucas Mora might start or not? I wouldn't start him because I don't think he's a lot of use against a set defence. He wants space to run into as well. And I think what we're probably going to see is a lot of the ball across the face of Burnley's defence and us trying to find a way through. And Mora isn't very good at that. So I would be starting Kulu and hoping that he can repeat what he did in the 94th minute or whatever it was of yesterday against a slightly more packed and set defence. I also think that him cutting inside across the face of the box, he can re- he can give some of what we've seen Conte try to do with inverted fullbacks. I think we could see the same from uh, from Decky running across the across the box and um, threading balls through. So that's what I'd be looking to do there. I mean, Bergwin is becoming a bit of a forgotten man again after this this despite his heroics against Leicester. And if you're looking at quick feet, you know, in tight spaces, there's no doubt his feet are going to be significantly more um, dangerous than Mora's in those positions. Would we be right in saying that? Yeah, I agree. I'd, I'd, I'd prefer him on the right, on, oh, sorry, on the left over um, Mora. Uh, he's had a couple of injuries these last few weeks, so uh, that's mainly why we haven't seen so much of him. But yeah, I, I see Bergwin primarily as Sun's understudy. And do we think this is almost going to be an inversion of what we had on Saturday, where we're going to be the Man City and Burnley are going to be us? Or do we see Burnley as thinking, you know, hey, up and Adam, get in there, get physical, get hard, batter them as hard as we can. They made a, an excellent trade-off there, having lost Chris Wood. They got Weghorst in, who's, you know, proven to be a really astute signing. And Sean Dyke is no dummy. They're a big physical side. Do you think they'll think, well, let's take it to them? Or do you think he's smart enough to think, let's grind it out? You know, they're they're the home team. So hopefully they do come out of their shell a little bit. But um, it's, it's not an easy place to go, Turf Moor. I wouldn't be surprised to see Wink start this one. I think, again, if we've got a lot of the ball on the edge of their area, his range of passing. Is that in a five or, or not? No, same formation that we've been playing recently. Maybe uh, Winks in for Hoybier, uh, and just play two passes. Interesting. I'm not sure that he will elect to go uh, with... I, I'd see Winks as maybe more possible at Leeds, but we'll see. I think he's going to go for... He's going to need the energy and the aggression in there, I think, on Wednesday. That would be my take. He's really going to need... I mean, I think he's going to need Hoybier's fight and, and hustle, but we'll see. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, well, let's just say, are you confident? I'm going to say no, just because I think we play better when <laughs> I'm not confident. <laughs> yeah, I think you said it earlier on, Steph, with uh, kind of a reverse of the City game. I think it will be that. I think they'll try and soak that, soak it up, and they're very good at that. And we struggle to break teams down that sit deep. It's, it's not going to be pretty. I think it'll be a dog fight. I think we'll all be incredibly uncomfortable. I can see the whingers going mental on the on the internet as the game goes on, and I think our bums are going to squeak with a two-one victory. I think we'll grind it out. I don't see a clean sheet. I do think we'll get two goals. I think Harry Kane is feeling it. I feel he's going to go on a big run at this point. And I think there's so much confidence in the team right now that they will believe they can grind out a result like this as opposed to capitulate. So it'll be a grinder, but it'll be ugly. And then we go uh, on Saturday to Leeds, to Elland Road. Uh, We got our first league victory under Antonio against Leeds back in November. Are we going to see a repeat this weekend? I mean, Leeds potentially are a team that can press us we struggle with that so if you know probably suits us that they've had a tough week in terms of fixtures and they might be a bit tired for the game um so i wouldn't be surprised if we saw something similar to we saw at the lane back in november where they had a lot of the possession in the first half we were happy to let them have that 
let them run themselves out and then and then open up and attack them in the second half. Um, if the game goes that way, then I'd be pretty confident because we've seen this week what we're like on the break. Leeds don't know how to sit back and play tight and uh, and play a game out. They're going to be aggressive uh, and there will be space in behind. If they press us, if they can keep up the energy, then we could struggle. But you know, having Dyer, having Romero there, that makes that a lot better, a lot you know, a lot easier. It's a game I feel more confident about, but um, yeah, the, the the pressing is a is a is a risk, is a is a threat to us. And I think once again we're looking at another game of goals, and I think this is where one of the things I, I really enjoyed about Kulisewski's performance against City was that you know he's quite he is quite unpredictable. I mean, you're not really too sure you know what he's what he's going to do, and I I do sense that there's going to be a time he's going to come in. You know, off that uh, that side and 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 just leather one with his left. And I have a vision of him scoring uh, one of these twenty twenty five yarders um, up at Elland Road. I think it, I I don't know why. Maybe there's a lemon under my seat as I speak. Um, and it's it's tough for me to think that Leeds can come through such a grueling week against such top sides, especially without Phillips and and so on being fit. So you know they have two players that I think we would love to see, especially one. Uh, Rafina would be a great signing. We need Reggie back for this one, in my opinion. I think he's key. This is the perfect game for him to play. So let's. Here's hoping. He's hoping his test results come back negative <laughs> pretty soon. Um. Yeah, as you've all said, who knows? It is Leeds, it is Elland Road, but I have to believe, because I support this football club uh, in a feral fashion, that we will come through this week with another six points to make it nine points from our northern run. Whisper it, if one of these games is a draw, I'd take seven from nine right now when you're playing away games. But in the race for the top four, if we're being clinical, we need to get the job done. I back us to get the job done. And that, I believe, brings us to the end of the pod. Everyone's nodding in fervent agreement. I don't know whether that's with the end of the pod or my prediction. Whatever it is, it's all positive here. What a great week. What a great response from Tottenham Hotspur Football Club to what have been two really deflating uh, performances. Um, Chaps, thank you very much. Much appreciated. We will be back next week to discuss our further trip to the north and those games against Burnley and Leeds, which we have just been previewing. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. So give us a follow, say hello. And if you've enjoyed this, getting tongue twisted in my excitement, please tell your pals and leave a glowing review on iTunes and Spotify. And even if you haven't enjoyed it, make up a positive review and put it there anyway. No one will be the wiser and it'll help us grow even more than we already are. As always, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.